A reading from the book of Daniel. In the third year of the reign of Jehoiakim, king of Judah, Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, came to Jerusalem and besieged it. And the Lord gave Jehoiakim, king of Judah, into his hand with some of the vessels of the house of God. And he brought them to the land of Shinar, to the house of his God, and placed the vessels in the treasury of his God. Then the king commanded Ashpenaz, the chief eunuch, to bring some of the people of Israel, both of the royal family and of the nobility, youths without blemish, of good appearance, and skillful in all wisdom, endowed with knowledge, understanding, learning, and competent to stand in the king's palace, and to teach them the literature and language of the Chaldeans. The king assigned them a daily portion of food that the king ate and of the wine that he drank. They were to be educated for three years, and at the end of that time, they were to stand before the king. Among these were Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, Azariah of the tribe of Judah. And the chief of the eunuchs gave them names. Daniel he called Belteshazzar, Hananiah he called Shadrach, Mishael he called Meshach, and Azariah he called Abednego. But Daniel resolved that he would not defile himself with king's food or with the wine that he drank. Therefore he asked the chief of the eunuchs to allow him not to defile himself. And God gave Daniel favor and compassion in the sight of the chief of the eunuchs. And the chief of the eunuchs said to Daniel, I fear my lord the king who assigned your food and your drink, for why should he see that you were in worse condition than the youths who are of your own age? So you would endanger my head with the king. Then Daniel said to the steward, whom the chief of the eunuchs had assigned over Daniel, Ananiah, Mishael, and Azariah, Test your servants for ten days. Let us be given vegetables to eat and water to drink. Then let our appearance and the appearance of the youths who eat the king's food be observed by you, and deal with your servants according to what you see. So he listened to them in this matter and tested them for ten days. At the end of ten days, it was seen that they were better in appearance and fatter in flesh than all the youths who ate the king's food. So the steward took away their food and their wine they were to drink and gave them vegetables. As for these four youths, God gave them learning and skill in all literature and wisdom, and Daniel had understanding in all visions and dreams. At the end of the time when the king had commanded that they should be brought in, the chief of the eunuchs brought them in before Nebuchadnezzar. And the king spoke to them, and among all of them found, found, among all of them found none like Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. Therefore they stood before the king. And in every manner of wisdom and understanding about which the king inquired of them, he found them ten times better than all the magicians and enchanters that were in all his kingdom. And Daniel was there until the first year of King Cyrus. This is the word of the Lord. Well, good morning. My name's Paul. I am so glad, we are so glad you chose to worship with us 
on this beautiful Charleston morning. Before we dive into God's word, would you bow your heads with me as I begin with a word of prayer? Dear Heavenly Father, may the words of my mouth and the meditations of our hearts be pleasing in your sight, our rock and our redeemer. And in the oldest prayer of the church, we pray, come Holy Spirit, come. In Jesus' name, amen. By many, he's considered the greatest coach of all time. Taking over a team that had gone 1-10-1 the year prior to his arrival, Vince Thomas Lombardi guided the Green Bay Packers to five NFL championships, including the first two Super Bowls, in a span of only seven years as their coach and GM. Known for his epic speeches, his attention to detail, his wild work ethic, and his team-centric culture, Lombardi was and is so revered that even to this day, some 50 years after his death, the NFL Super Bowl trophy bears his name. So why do I bring this up? Why do I uh, talk about this leader, this man? Well, here's why. Have you ever been led to a place you didn't want to go? Or have you ever been to a place you didn't want to embrace? In the words of Lombardi's biographer, David Moranis, Lombardi's family did not want to move to Wisconsin from their native New York City. Quote, Mary could not suppress the tears when her husband steered their two-tone Chevrolet towards the turnpike to begin their long trek to Wisconsin. Was this the beginning or the end? Her 12-year-old daughter sobbed behind her. As they approached Milwaukee, the scenery changed dramatically to white on white, and Vincent, their son, and Susan, their daughter, looked out in disbelief and in despair. Reflected Lombardi's wife, when we drove around Chicago, everything was fine. We were up and talking, and then it got real silent in the car when we saw this snow. We were going into a depression here. I'm thinking, where's he taking me? I don't think... I want to do this. Have you ever been there before? Can any of you relate? Not in having to move to Wisconsin, the land of the cheeseheads. No, can any of you relate to being uh, placed in a situation where you didn't want to be in life? The Lombardis did. And so did the main characters in the book of our new series. As Drew shared this fall, we're gonna be looking at the book of Daniel, an Old Testament book. And this theme of being displaced or disrupted or even pulled into exile permeates every page of our book. Therefore, if you've ever wondered, how can I remain hopeful in a harsh situation? Or how, how can I remain faithful in a faithless place? Or where is God in my suffering, in my story, this series, this book is for you. Theologians have said the book of Daniel is like balm for the hurting soul or a well of courage for the fearful soul, which is why we're choosing to dive into it this fall. And with that introduction, let's uh, begin our new series, shall we? 
The big idea we'll see this morning from Daniel chapter one is this. Even if our story is not optimal, in the story of God, our impact can be impactful, or excuse me, powerful. Even if our story is not optimal, in the service of God, our impact can be powerful. We're gonna break this down through three points. Point one, God holds history, which means, Shelly, God holds you. Point two, no matter the pressure, live for the glory of one. And point three, take the long view. Take the long view and watch what God can do. So here we go. Point one, God holds history, which means God holds you. In the third year of the reign of Jehoiakim, king of Judah, Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, came to Jerusalem and besieged it. And the Lord gave Jehoiakim, king of Judah, into his hand with some of the vessels of the house of God. And he brought them to the land of Shinar, to the house of his God, and placed the vessels in the treasury of his God. So right out of the gate in the book of Daniel, let me share a reflection I believe Pastor Drew touched on it last week. Here it is. As we read scripture, as we read the Bible, especially when we read, uh, uh, read passages around figures which, with, with whom we can relate or to whom we can relate, our tendency is to make these figures heroes. When we read the Bible, our tendency is to make different characters heroes, such as Abraham in the faith he displayed at Mount Moriah with Isaac. We want to be like Abraham. Or we look at Joseph. We read about Joseph and the faith he displayed in bondage and then leadership in Egypt. And we think, I want to be like Joseph. Or we read about David and he killed Goliath, the marauding giant. And we want to be like David. They become heroes to us, folk heroes, right? But here's what we need to see right out of the gate. In the Bible, there's only one hero. And it's the Lord himself. Over and over again in scripture, the Lord is the initiator of all redemptive action in the hero of the story. It's the Lord, not individuals, who creates, calls, rescues, and then positions his people to receive his love and then display his love to a hurting world. And all climaxes in the work, person and work of Jesus, and then launches into a spiritual body, the church, his family. And that's the meta narrative of scripture. It's the gospel story. Thus, right out of the gate, I want us to understand this is a story grounded in grace that culminates in grace. And it means the Lord's in control, not you or me. And the Lord holds history, and this is particularly important in the upcoming season in our country. The Lord holds history, not any power broker, person, or party. And this is good news. And this draws us right into the heart of the book of Daniel. Beginning in chapter one, we see it's God not Daniel and not King Nebuchadnezzar, who's in control. Look at this, verse two. Who is it, we read, that gave the Israelites actually into exile? We read, verse two, the Lord gave the Israelites into the hand of the Babylonians. You see, after years of rebelliousness and waywardness and sinfulness, God had made a decision to discipline his people, to discipline his kids. That's what loving parents do. Hebrews chapter 12. My son, do not make light of the Lord's discipline. 
Do not lose heart when he rebukes you because the Lord disciplines the one he loves and he chastens everyone he accepts as his son. Thus, in the story of Daniel, God first gave the Israelites to their enemy. What? He did. Next, verse 7. Who then God gave Daniel, excuse me, gave Daniel and his friends favor with Nebuchadnezzar's chief official? It was God. It says, God then gave, or the Lord gave Daniel and his friends favor and compassion to this official. So listen, God not only controls uh, the terms of history, God then cares for his people over the course of history. Note that. And then dropping down to verse 17, again, it's this language of God giving. Who subsequently gave Daniel and his, and his friends, these boys, learning and skill? We read it's God who gave it to them. Thus, God not only positions and provides for his people, sometimes in unorthodox ways, but he then empowers them wherever they land to make a difference. So let's not miss this right out of the gate in Daniel chapter one. We read it's God who is the active agent at work here. Again, God gave over the Israelites, positioning his people. God gave compassion and favor, providing for his people. God gave wisdom and gifting, empowering his people. True, it wasn't at all comfortable, but hear this, it was purposeful. God was on the move. Let's bring this into our lives, shall we? Just as it was true for Daniel and his friends, so it's true for you. God holds history, Sam, which means God holds you. The question is whether you and I have come to terms with this, whether we trust in this. And just to keep it real here, friends, I struggled for years to accept this. At the age of 13, I was sent to boarding school to get a better education, but here's the deal. I felt so very alone. Almost every night as an eighth grader, I would sneak out of my room and go cry in the stairwell, in the dark stairwell all by myself. Yet looking back, I can now see how God gave me mentors to care for and guide me in a unique way in that unique season. Thus, God was there for me in my young season. Fast forward a few years, and at 18, I endured a painful teenage breakup. I was uh, so ashamed, felt so much guilt, felt like a failure, and yet looking back, I can now see that God gave me friends to comfort me and encourage me. God was there in my broken season. Fast forward again to the age of 30, and I had moved my young family just outside New York City to launch this nonprofit, and I had no idea what I was doing. I was way over my skis. And yet, looking back, I can see God gave leaders to me to grow me and invest in me and advise me. You might say God was there in my rocky season. And then, fast forward to age 42. When a global pandemic struck, right as we were in the thick of our long-awaited building campaign, and it was hard, it's hard for all of us. And I can now look back and see how God gave me and gave us a faithful leadership team and a faithful congregation to shape every one of us to be more like his son in a hurting world. Hear this. Our church is more kind and more committed and more courageous than it's ever been before. 
You see, God was there for me and for all of us here at One Fellowship during that disruptive season. So friends, God holds history, which means God holds you, Claire. God holds me. Even in the toughest of times, God cares. God cares for you. This leads us to point two. No matter the pressure, live for the glory of one. Another story. This past Sunday, we had the honor of baptizing several people uh, in one fellowship down at Isle of Palms at the Citadel Beach Club. It's one of our favorite things to do. And one of these individuals is named Naomi. Naomi's 10 years old. Now, in one fellowship, um, we really do life on life. We like to get to know one another's story, as Pastor Drew shared. We are really a gospel community. And yet, uh, as we continue to grow, I don't have the opportunity to connect to every one story. I would love to, uh, I just don't. And so I was excited to get to know Naomi more and her family more at the beach last Sunday. And now listen, when I arrived, I was in for more than I'd bargained for in a sweet, faithful kind of way. You see, not only did Naomi's family come to the beach last Sunday, but two sets of aunts and uncles came to the beach to celebrate her baptism with us. All of them, from what I understand, had been refugees from the former Soviet Union back in the 1980s. Consequently, Naomi's dad, Yasha, became uh, emotional uh, as he stood next to me at the beach. Initially, I just watched him stare at the ocean and take it all in. And then he proceeded to share part of his family's story, their history. He told me how uh, years ago he found uh, videos of his family making their way in former communist Russia into the, uh, the thick of the forest, into the thick of winter, far from the public eye, uh, to uh, celebrate baptisms together in the mental of winter. They would carve uh, holes in the ice so they wouldn't be arrested and so they could enjoy this beautiful sacrament. He then went on to share how his brother-in-law's family, one of the guys at the beach with us, had been hunted by the KGB for years, even enduring three years in a Russian prison, and they'd lost everything. Additionally, he shared how back in uh, the Soviet Union, you couldn't have a Bible. It was illegal, but nonetheless, his family and friends, they acquired Bibles and shared Bibles and spread the Gospels because that's what they felt called to do. You see, Yasha shared a lot with me last Sunday, and I'm sure he has a lot more to share. Right, Yasha? But after several minutes of chatting, he finally turned to me and he said, with such sincere eyes, how thankful he was to be in our country and how thankful he was to see his daughter baptized in one fellowship. It was a powerful moment. And I'm honored to share this story, his story, their story with you. See, Jeremy, we all have a story. And we're, if we're to follow the Lord at some point in our stories, given the world in which we live, all of us will have our fidelity to the Lord tested. Returning to our text. Then the king commanded Aspenaz, his chief eunuch or official, 
to bring some of the people of Israel, both of the royal family and of the nobility, youth without blemish, of good appearance and skillful in all wisdom, endowed with knowledge, all the things, understanding, learning, competent to stand in the king's palace and to teach them the literature and language of the Chaldeans. The king assigned to them a daily portion of food that the king ate and of the wine that he drank. They were to be educated for three years and at the end of that time, they, were standing, they would stand before the king. Among these were Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah of the tribe of Judah. And the chief of the eunuchs gave them names. Daniel he called Belshazzar. Hananiah he called Shadrach. Mishael, Meshka, and Azariah, Abednego. But Daniel resolved that he would not defile himself with the king's food or with the wine that he drank. So friends, what's going on here? Well, let's unpack this section of scripture just for a minute. As we looked at a couple of weeks ago, as we talked about Jeremiah 29, Nebuchadnezzar and the officials of Babylon were trying to transition the Israelites into becoming Babylonians and thus whitewash their faith and whitewash their cultural heritage. Specifically, we see that the Babylonians took the Jews from Judah, forcing them from their homes. This was displacement. Second, we see they were required to change their dietary standards, thus disregarding their uh, Mosaic heritage and their restrictions. This was coercion. Third, the Babylonians made the Jews learn their language and literature, including divination, according to the Babylonians. And this was mind manipulation. And fourth, the Babylonians even gave the Jews new names. And this was, listen, spiritual hijacking. What do I mean spiritual hijacking? Well, back in those days, a person's name really meant something. And it it really uh, aligned them or showed their faith in their God. We see this all the time in the Bible. David, for instance, means beloved. Isaiah translates to the salvation of God. John, meanwhile, gives us God is gracious. Are you with me? Now, returning to our passage, this same pattern held true for Daniel. Daniel's name translate, Elohim is my judge. Elohim being another name for God in the Hebrew. That's beautiful. However, look what happens in Babylonian captivity. They give Daniel the name Belshazzar. Belshazzar, and this name literally means may Bel protect his life. Bel being one of the gods of Babylon. It's easy to just read through Daniel and miss this. It was spiritual hijacking. And it happened to Daniel and all of his friends. So bringing this back into the room and to our lives, it's all about pressure. Barrett, pressure. Joe, pressure. As Christians, we all face pressure, be it in some big or small way throughout our lives. We will be tempted, coerced, and even promise great things if we live for the glory of something or someone other than God. Buy this. Watch this. Taste this. Read this. Cheat on this. No one will see Paul. No one will see Carly. You'll be so much better off for it. It'll taste and feel so good. Yet guess what? 
Church, it's a lie. All these promises are a lie. How do we know? Well, we just learn in point one, God holds history, which means God, not those people out there, those pressures out there, God holds you. And somehow, friends, Daniel and his friends understood this. Despite all the pressure they felt, they made a humble stand and they refused to eat the diet of the Babylonians. They asked Nebuchadnezzar's chief official if they could abstain and he, he ended up agreeing, saying, hey, for a short time, I'll let you do this. And guess what? These young proved that God, their God, God, our God is faithful. Yes, he is faithful. Even under enormous pressure, they chose to live for the glory of one because they knew God would come through. And guess what, friends? God always comes through. This leads us to point three. Take the long view and watch what God can do. For these four youths, God gave them learning and skill and all literature and wisdom. And Daniel had understanding and all visions and dreams. At the end of the time when the king had commanded that they should be brought in, the chief of the eunuchs brought them in before Nebuchadnezzar. And the king spoke with them, and among all of them, none was found like Daniel and his boys. I'm just going to truncate it there. Therefore, they stood before the king. And in every matter of wisdom and understanding about which the king inquired of them, he found them 10 times better than all of the magicians and enchanters that were in his kingdom. And Daniel was there until the first year of King Cyrus. Let me dispel another lie. It's the idea that somehow if we live for the Lord, we'll mess out and we'll be treated like garbage. Again, especially kids and students, that is a lie. How do we know? Well, these four dudes, Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah, all live for the Lord. And when their three years of training came up, what do we read? The king of Babylon found them to be 10 times better than all the other leaders in his kingdom. 10 times. Here's the point. In God's economy, faithful people make trusted leaders. Faithful people make trusted leaders. Daniel and his friends placed their faith in God, not in themselves and not in the things or people around them with all of the pressure. And God granted them favor in the long haul. He did. Just three years in, they were viewed as rock stars by King Nebuchadnezzar, the king of Babylon, a pagan. Friends, we can take the long view and live for the glory of one, God. Now, one more thing, one more expositional note. If we're not careful, we'll miss it. It'll just be a throwaway verse. Verse 21. And Daniel was there until the first year of King Cyrus. Cool, pastor. So what? He was there until the first year of King Cyrus. Why is this important? It's important because it means Daniel, despite being yanked from his homeland and tossed and turned and going through all sorts of persecution, as we'll see in the coming weeks, Daniel would stand the test of time. As kings and kingdoms would rise and fall, including every Babylonian king, he would outlive them all. 
he'd not only outlive them, he'd outshine them. And so in that little verse, here's what history tells us. That verse holds 66 years of Daniel's life. Where finally, King Cyrus comes in and he defeats the Babylonian empire. It's a remarkable turn of events and we can miss it if we're not careful. It's a remarkable story. This servant who endures great trials and tribulations, great pains to keep the hope of God's people alive. And here's the deal, one fellowship. Guess what? This all points to something or someone to come. It all points to Jesus. Right at the end of chapter one, we get a glimpse of what's to come. Daniel all points to Jesus, the suffering servant, who will not only intervene for God and his people, but the one who will stand the test of time well beyond the greatest kings and kingdoms, well beyond the greatest rulers, emperors, and the like. Daniel ultimately points us to Jesus. As the New Testament says, in him all the promises of God find their yes. Thus, in the context of Daniel chapter one and the whole biblical witness, we need to take the long view and see what God can do. In closing, allow me to introduce you to something awkward. I'm just gonna name it, it's gonna be awkward. It's an acronym. And I'm drawing it from something we read in our passage. I don't know if you caught it when Kathy read it. Verse 15, they were better in appearance and fatter in flesh than all the youths who ate the king's food. Did you catch that? Now, I don't think this word translates the way we think it should translate. Other translation says they were healthier, but, but track with me. A few years ago, a leader told me he only hires fat people for his church. What? He went on to explain that the word fat or the acronym F-A-T stands for faithful, available, and teachable people. Faithful, available, and teachable people. And I just like that. I think it applies not only to the leadership of this church, but all believers, especially as we wrap up today's sermon. What if we were faithful, available, and teachable like Daniel and his friends? Imagine the impact God can make through our lives. Laura, what if we left here today saying, God, I'm here. Use me. Jeej, what if we ended this sermon by saying, God, here I am, send me. Coach, what if we said, God, I, here I am, teach me. Our stories, trusting in God, could ripple throughout eternity. Dare you trust that God holds history, which means God holds you. Dare you trust that no matter the pressure, you and I can live for the glory of one. And dare you trust that no matter our circumstances, we can, in fact, take the long view to watch what God can do. One fellowship, even if our story is not optimal in the service of God, our impact can be powerful. As we enter the fall, this new series and wrap up chapter one, let's see that from Daniel in this word today and believe it. Even if our story right now is not optimal in the service of God, even in the most humbling of settings, 
our impact can be powerful. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you for this good news, this story that points us to the ultimate story of your son, Jesus. God, some of us are struggling. Some of us are confused. Would you center us on the good news that's foreshadowed in Daniel and points us to Jesus? May we not trust in our circumstances or the people above us or even beside us, but trust in you and you alone. Capture our hearts, direct our lives. We pray this for our good and your glory in Jesus' name, amen.